Well, again, good evening and welcome to Soul City Church. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, I know you just said hi, everybody, but I want to give them a high five. Say, you're at church on Memorial Day weekend. Well done. High five. High five. Well, we are glad that you are here tonight. Uh, my name is Kurt. I'm the director of Next Steps and Connections here at Soul City. And uh, before we dive in to the message tonight, as we're uh, concluding our spiritually practical series, I want to just invite us to, to take a moment to kind of quiet our hearts a little bit and just kind of focus um, on what's just been happening in our country this week. Uh, if you're like me, you're probably watching the news a little stunned, a little in disbelief, and, and, and it maybe it was difficult to process what you saw happen in Oklahoma or earlier this week. And, and any time that there's those moments of devastation, whether it's a natural disaster or, or a family crisis or anything that, that causes us to wonder maybe where was God, we just always want to pause and, and, and let that feeling be real and also invite uh, and let that invitation come from God to us to increase our faith and to lean into him a little bit more. And so I would just love to invite you to pray with me uh, for those in Oklahoma that are, are trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, parents that, that have lost children or children that have lost parents or lost homes. Um, and also to, to pray that God would show us how individually and as a church we can be a part of the solution. Uh, and also to pray for those friends of ours, the churches that we know in Oklahoma City that are already active and on the ground uh, and, and helping people down there. So why don't we just pause real quick together and pray together and ask God for those things. God, I, I'm so grateful that the words that we just sang are more than a song, that they're true. That Jesus, you are the son of God. That we don't know perhaps what's next. Uh, we, can, we can be caught by surprise. Um, but God, we can know who goes before us and goes behind us. And so in, in the moment of devastation that we witnessed uh, this week, and, and maybe we know people or even just seeing on a TV screen what was happening in Oklahoma, God, we just pray that you would be so present. Jesus, thank you that you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God, we ask that you would be the comforter. God, you, you promised us that you are close to the brokenhearted. God, would you be near to those that are devastated and, and hurting and confused? Jesus, you tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, blessed are those who are merciful, for they also in return will be shown mercy. And so, God, as we ask you to show us how we can be a part of the solution, may we extend mercy. May we ask for your mercy through prayer, through our giving, through perhaps even knowing people that we can uh, go to and to serve. God, we do thank you that uh, in spite of the devastation that hope is alive and well in Oklahoma and reports that we've heard from friends from other churches that are on the ground active. God, thank you that your church is alive and moving all across our country. And so we pray that all the relief efforts through the church, through, through nonprofit organizations, whatever it be, that they would be well-funded, uh, that they would be uh, just filled with hope as they see you move in, in the midst of so much pain and so much destruction that they would be your hands and feet in that place, even as we speak right now. And so, Jesus, it's in your mighty, powerful name that we pray all these things. Amen. 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 Well, again, like I said, we are uh, concluding our spiritually practical series. And so if you haven't been able to be here for the last few weeks, I would totally encourage you to check them out on our Vimeo page. It's been, it's been so exciting for me to be a part of a church that takes uh, what is utterly spiritual and makes it as practical as possible. And that's really been our hope throughout this series, is to take those things that sometimes can seem uh, difficult or ethereal or trip us up, and to really give us tools and handles to grab onto so that we can actually live the life that God's invited each and every one of us 
into. And so we looked at the Bible, we looked at prayer, we looked at how to talk to other people about God. And tonight, we're talking about how do we invite God into our decisions? When we make a decision, how do we invite God into that? Is that something we should do? If so, how do, how do we do that? And, and this is something that's actually helpful for all of us, whether this is your first time here tonight, and if it is, we're so glad that you're here. And maybe you're checking out church for the first time in a long time, or you've maybe been here for a long period of time, and you've called Soul City home for a while. But no matter who we are, where we find ourselves on our spiritual spectrum, we all make decisions. Right? You made a decision to come to church on Memorial Day weekend. Again, high five, good for you. Right? We all make decisions each and every day throughout our week, throughout our life. And, and there's big decisions and there's small decisions. And some of them seem really weighty. And some of them seem like, who, who cares? I'm just, I'm just making a choice, right? And, and so, you know, we, we want to think about how do we invite God into those conversations, into that decision making. And, and I know that there's, like I said, there's less important decisions. There's more important decisions. Like a less important decision is, you know, what am I going to wear? You know, although I'm sure there's times that my wife would have hoped that I would have consulted God on an outfit before I left the house. Uh, or at least consulted her, right? So that, that happens. Uh, but again, there's probably bigger decisions that you may have walked in here tonight with that maybe have been, you've been thinking about them all week. Maybe it's something that has caused you a, a fair amount of anxiety or, or worry. It's something that you're kind of playing the pros and cons list and you don't know what to do next. And so I hope tonight is helpful. I hope that when we leave tonight, we have, we have a tool that we can use to, to look at these decision-making moments, this incredible opportunity that we have to decide what's next for us and figure out how to lean into God and how to depend and, and invite him into those, into those decisions. But even to begin talking about that in the first place has an assumption attached to it. And I, I want to just address that. Because anytime we talk about something that has this you know, underlying assumption, if we don't address it, we can sometimes gloss over it and, and miss some power that's, that's buried in there. And that is that if we even discuss the purpose of inviting God into a decision that you and I make, that assumes that God actually cares about the decisions that you and I make. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, I mean, you could be a, a Christ follower for a long period of time or, again, very new to this whole church thing or, or just checking out God, but you, you might have that question of, like, does it even matter? Like, does it, does it even matter what I choose? Isn't it all going to work out at the end anyways? Or... In a deeper level, does God even care if I go out on that date or pursue this job or make that choice in school over a major or a career choice path or whatever? Does, does that even matter? And, and, and so, again, I want to just voice that because sometimes we can miss the fact that the God of the universe actually is intimately concerned with the intimate details of, of your life and of mine. And that's a pretty powerful thing. It's a pretty, it's a pretty weighty thing. And so as we look at a story tonight in the scriptures, I hope that not only we see that God cares about our decisions, but that we can learn how uh, to make a great decision. There was a time in college when um, I made a poor decision. Um, and, and you might be sitting here tonight going, yeah, college, the, the paraphrase of college is the time for poor decisions. Um, but I made a decision in college. Uh, I was kind of, you know, finals time. I think it was like, you know, sophomore year. And, and we're, we're stuck inside, we're studying, we're getting focused. And a couple of my buddies, their finals ended a little earlier than mine. And so uh, we were kind of just getting a little stir crazy, like, let's just take a break, we'll get a brain break, we'll, we'll just go out, we'll have some fun, we'll blow off some steam, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll study and finish out finals and be done. And so we decided to drive down to the local Krispy Kreme donut store and see how many donuts we could eat in a half an hour. So there's about four or five of us that went. Um, so we went down there, and, and so we're all, you know, timing ourselves, ready, set, go. 
and, and I ate uh, 19 Krispy Kreme donuts in 30 minutes and lost. I didn't win. Somebody ate more than me, so I didn't even get, like, the, the pride of being the winner. Uh, and as you can imagine, as the story went, we all got very, very sick, um, especially the guy that won because he ate 36 donuts, <laughs> which, if you're counting three dozen in 30 minutes, that's more than a donut a minute. Kids, don't try this at home. So uh, as you can imagine, we all got very, very sick. Uh, and I actually was so sick that I couldn't get out of bed, and I missed the final I had the next morning, which was a math final. And I had a C in my math class at the time. was hoping that my final would kind of bump it up a little bit. Missing the final didn't help. Uh, dropped it much lower. So had to retake that class the entire next semester, all for a 30-minute decision. So don't eat a lot of donuts in 30 minutes. Um, but like I said, there, there are other times in our life, and again, that's a, a, a small thing, but you might, like me, have, have moments where you look back and go, that was a dumb decision, that I should not have made that decision. And, and you might have other times where you can kind of get a little bit of a glimpse by God's grace of, of maybe if you had made a decision, where that would have led you, and you can breathe a sigh of relief and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. I see how close I could have been to going down a path. I'm just so glad I didn't go down. Maybe you have perhaps an entire season of, of your life that when you're talking to a coffee shop or a family gathering or whatever it is, that you kind of omit from your life because you just want to skip right over that, that you don't want to talk about that season of your life. And it really, if someone were to be honest with you and you could tell them the truth, you'd be like, I would give almost anything to go back and be a freshman in college again. Or I would love to not sign that job offer. Or I wish I would have invested more in my first marriage or whatever it is that, that might be there for you, that so much of our life can be defined by the decisions that we make. And we can even laugh about it because we can think about how many popular songs we listen to every day on the radio that are about someone making a poor decision and wishing they could go back. Mumford & Sons' Little Lion Man, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, and Taylor Swift's We Are Never, Ever, Ever <laughs> Getting Back Together. Um, and so how do we do that, though? So I, th I think the, the tension is, is real. We feel that. Like, yeah, I, I want to make good decisions. I want to move forward so I can live a life story that I'm proud of, not one that I have to omit or regret. So how do I do that, though? I mean, it, it seems like it's harder than it sounds. And, and in those moments, maybe you've done this, I know I have, where you're kind of like, okay, I want to do this. I, I, I think this is the right move. God, if you don't want me to do this, let me know. Nothing? Cool. All right, I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, doesn't seem to matter. Should I have even wasted the time asking God in the first place? And so there's this, there's this truth question that we, we all think feel. Again, whether, whether we're spiritual or Christian or not, when we're in those big moments, we know this is a big moment of decision for me. We often will wonder, I wonder what God thinks about this. I mean, you, you've had that moment, right? You might not have known, known what to do with that question, but you've at least thought that. I wonder what God would want me to do. But there's another question that's equally as important as that. We're going to put it up on the screen. The question of what will God say about this decision is important, but just as important as that, as that is the question of will I obey? The question of what will God say is just as important as the question of will I obey? And so we're going to look at a story tonight out of the scriptures that talks about how a very important person in the Bible made a decision. And I hope that's helpful for you and for me. And so if you have a Bible, you can open it. If not, you can grab the blue Bible. It's in the seat back pocket right in front of you or under the seat if you're in one of the front rows, uh, VIP as we call it. And you can uh, turn to page 203. 
203 in the Blue Bible, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. And we're talking about a guy named King David. And we're going to read a story tonight that you may have never, ever heard before. Uh, and this is what I love. This is why I actually think this book is true, is because it, it includes the stories, not only the heroic uh, successes of its heroes, but also its failures. And it shows the real-life uh, dichotomy in all, the, in all the characters in it. And so it's one of the reasons I think this book is true. But we're going to read a story about a guy named David. And you probably have heard a little bit about David before, but maybe not this story. How many of you have probably heard the story of David and Goliath, right? A little shepherd boy kills the big giant. Many of us have, right? That's, that's good. This is the same David that we're talking about tonight, a little bit later, right? So David goes and he kills this giant, which is an unbelievable thing. He becomes this kind of celebrity in his country. And the king, Saul at the time, invites David into his palace to be around Saul, to be his little, you know, protege, his little apprentice. And in, the, in that time, God speaks to David and tells David, that he will become the next king, not Saul's son, who happens to be David's best friend. Drama, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so this is what happens. And so King Saul gets very frustrated with this, ends up kicking David not only out of the palace, out of the country, but then begins to hunt him down as a fugitive, right? So Saul is very, you know, upset with David. And this is kind of where we pick up this story. All right. So 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1. And following. And Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He was told, David is hiding in the desert of En Gedi. Now, again, this means nothing to you and I, but as folks that would read this story, in, you know, when it was written, they would know that this is a real place. Like, oh, yeah, the desert of En Gedi. You take the Eisenhower to 294 up past Lincolnshire, desert of En Gedi, used to vacation there. Cool. All right, so Saul took about 3,000 able young men from Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Again, geographical place, the crags of the wild goats, know where that is. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. This is why you need to read the Bible. It's interesting, <laughs> right? And so again, Saul is the king. If a foot soldier has to relieve himself, he just tries to catch up later, right? But the king, guys, halt, I need a minute, right? So he goes into the cave to use the restroom. Again, Seemingly unimportant part of the story. It's going to get more interesting. But here's what is so interesting. Is, is as Saul is pursuing David, and remember, the Lord has told David that he's going to overtake Saul as king. So Saul has to go to the bathroom, and he creeps into a cave. And the cave he goes into, check this out. David and his men were far back in that cave. And so, again, this is one of those, like, spiritually superstitious moments, right? It seems like this is what we might call an open door, right? The stars have aligned. You know, spiritual folks might say it was a God thing, right? Like, this just happened. Like, imagine, imagine this, this scenario. Like, Saul goes into this cave, robe, crown, scepter, whatever he's carrying, and then out of that cave comes David, same robe, same crown, it's like a Disney movie, right? Like, this is just like perfect. And so David and his men are already back in that cave. David, David's men say to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And so again, Saul is vulnerable. And David's men are already in the cave. Their eyes have adjusted. And, and it seems like this is an opportunity for David to begin to take control of his destiny, 
to begin to put into motion what God told him would happen. Doesn't it seem like it's obvious what David would do? If we were in that situation, if you or I were in that situation, wouldn't it feel obvious to me what the next step is? And the answer is yes. And, and even David's men seem to think so, right? And as David is creeping up in the dark, something begins to happen in his mind, right? Something begins to, to push on his heart a little bit where he goes, maybe this isn't the right thing. And keep reading. Again, he, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterwards David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. There's that phrase again. With, the words, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. And then David goes one step further. Then David went out to the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed before Saul. Right? He laid prostrate with his face down on the ground, a sign of honor. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say to you, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. So he says these things to Saul and he says these things to his men. That as he's creeping up and his men have, have encouraged him, hey, this is the moment, man. Seize your opportunity. You should do this. It's clear. It's obviously a God thing. Just go kill him. David begins to realize that he thinks that he can predict the future. He thinks that if he kills the king, that's going to guarantee that David becomes king. When actually what's true is that the only thing that it guarantees is that David becomes the guy that killed the king. But just like David, you and I can be really great sales pitches to ourselves about a bad idea. Isn't that true? You're a master at selling yourself on an idea that you think is great, even though you might not be really sure. And you can surround yourself with all the right reasons and all the right people to convince yourself and to give yourself all the ammo that you need to say, this is, this is the right thing. And so David is creeping up towards Saul and he gets conscience stricken because he realizes, where did my men hear that idea? Like, they think it's a really good idea. They're telling me I should do this. But where did they hear that? They probably heard that from me, that I told them that the Lord told me that I was going to be king. So I told them, they now tell me, I think it's a good idea but it was really my idea to begin with. That's called circular logic. I've used that on my boss before. That doesn't work well. You know, like he's having this moment, right, where he, he's, he's creeping up and he realizes that what he thinks he's about to do isn't a good idea. Because what happens is David knows that simultaneously two things are true at the exact same time that seem to contradict each other. He knew that God had promised him that he was going to one day be king. He was going to overtake Saul and become king. But he also knew that God commanded him not to touch the king. So these two things seem to be in conflict. It's like, but God, it makes so much sense, right? Instead of having a war where thousands of people, you know, fight and, and people die and, you know, kids lose their fathers, in this situation, like, just one guy dies and everything's fine. It's so much better, God. Why don't we just do it this way, right? But David decides to do the hard right thing instead of the easy thing. 
and to wait and to trust God with the outcome. And I think when we're in decision-making moments, when I'm in a decision-making moment, that's a powerful, powerful story that 3,500 years after it was written, it seems really relevant to my life. How many times am I trying to replace what God has put in place? How many times am I trying to work around what God has done already in my life? How many times am I wanting a personal exception for what God has clearly said is right and wrong? And so David gets conscience-stricken. And then he goes out and he, and he tells Saul, which was a pretty courageous move. Like, look, I, I'm not here to harm you. I'm not hunting you down. I'm not what other people say I am. And, and, it, and it's pretty powerful that, that this story can, can play into your life and into mine. Because there's, there's, a, there's a, a way that we can look at how David, not just what the decision that David made, but how David made this decision. And so to do that, uh, there's a card in your seat back pocket that looks just like this. If you wouldn't mind grabbing that and taking it out, we're going to walk through this together. But this idea of, of how do we make a decision, that decision that you're thinking about, a decision that maybe you've been worried about, like I said, you know, throughout this week or came up unexpectedly. You, you, you're comfortable in your job. You, you like where you are. But then a buddy calls you, and they're doing a startup company or something new, and, and it sounds really interesting, and you might want to be a part of it. It might be a better fit for you, but it's going to mean moving or taking your kids out of the school or church that they love and kind of starting over. What do, what do you do? Things are going along great in a relationship. Everything's moving along, but then your, your friend or you know, your mom or whoever it is you get relationship advice from uh, you know, comes up to you and says, hey, did you hear that he's you know, this? You're like, oh, I didn't know that. Now, now you have a decision to make. Now you're kind of in this dilemma. Or you're, you're, you're walking through you know, a relationship uh, with someone that maybe was on the rocks, and they, and they come and they try to mend it with you, but, but you're still hurt. You're still holding on to something. But you, you, you want to make things better, but you don't know how. What, what does God say about that? What, what decision should we make in that, in that moment? And so there's a couple questions on this card that I think are really helpful that we get from this passage. And the first is, what does God say? Right? And again, David knew that there were these two things that were simultaneously true. God had promised him that he was going to become king, but that he wasn't to harm King Saul. Right? And so he was trying to make it happen his way, but in the moment, he, he luckily remembers, well, what, what has God said? The second question is, what do godly people say? Who, who in our life is, is speaking wisdom and, and, and godly direction in, into our decisions? Who are we inviting in? Because David, obviously, as he's creeping up, he realizes that, that these folks that are telling him and urging him on, you should do this, you know, these guys that he's with, they're, you know, they're friends, they've been loyal, they've protected him. But he realizes that, that they're perhaps doing this for their own interests. If he becomes king, they become the king's men, not the fugitive's men, right? It has a better ring to it, for sure, right? And so, so he realizes that maybe I need to ask more people and he actually encourages Saul to do the same thing. He says, don't listen to these people that are telling you that I'm not to hurt you. Because look, I had this opportunity and I didn't take it. And then the third question is, will I obey? Will I obey? And that's where the real transformation happens. That's where the real rubber meets the road. Because you have the choice to make. And nobody else really can make it for you. I have conversations with folks all the time and I've probably said it myself. You know, I wish I didn't have to make this decision. I wish God would just solve this for me. 
Right? You've probably had an experience like that. And yet God has given us the privilege and the heavy responsibility to make decisions about our life, to make decisions about our future. And so the question of will I obey becomes very important. When we know what God has said, and when we know what godly people encourage us to do, will we obey? Or will we continue to do the thing that we wanted to do all along in the first place? And you might think, well, Kurt, that sounds really good for you, you know, especially the first one of what does God say, because it's kind of your job to read the Bible, isn't it? Uh, what, about, what about me in the real world? And I appreciate that. But uh, let me give you an encouraging piece of advice. You probably know more about what God thinks than you think you do. I'll say that again. You, you probably know more about what God thinks than you even think you do. I love how Pastor Jarrett mentioned this in the first week of the series, that so much of our, of our culture and our life and what we naturally think is right and wrong is based on what this book says. The way we do society and the way we, way we live our lives just naturally really stems in large part, in some ways we don't understand even, from the teachings of this book. And so you actually probably know more about God than you think you do. And we live in a time when what God's perspective is on almost any decision you could possibly make is more accessible to you than at any other time in history. We have Bible-searching apps on our phones with you at all times if you want it, right? And, and so you can actually find out what God says about almost anything that you come across in your life. But let's just, you know, pretend for a moment that you only know what maybe David knew in that moment, right? And so, again, David's living out the story that we now read. It's, you know, page 203. It's pretty early on in the scriptures. And so as a, as a good young Jewish boy, he probably memorized you know, the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. But that was about it. Didn't have quite as much as we do at our disposal. But let's just pretend that you only know Ten Commandments, right? Let's just pick three. Don't lie, don't steal, honor the Sabbath, right? So when that question comes up at work this week and that contract slides across your desk, there's a lot of dollar signs attached to it. But you could ask yourself the question, is, is, this, is this deal honest, is this deal telling the whole truth, or are we hiding some assets, or are we hiding something over here, or are we trying to take advantage of this other party in this contract? Are we essentially trying to steal from them? In, in a relationship, whether it's a, a, with a partner or a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever it is, am I being honest with this person in my life? Am, am I sharing the truth about myself, or am I making myself look better than I actually am? Am I hiding things that I know, you know, might lead to conflict or might cause someone to ask harder questions that I really don't want to answer right now? Am I, am I trying to take something from this person that they're not really willing to give, either relationally, emotionally, or sexually? When, when that extra project comes up at work, right, and you know that, you know, you can make more money or be good for the company, but you think about, you know, your family, and instead of working the rest of the weekend, right, or being on your phone the whole time during dinner because this project is really important, what if all you knew was that God said it's actually good for you to rest? That, that God actually commands us to take a day off each week, to, to laugh and to play with your kids, to take your spouse or, or you know, partner out on a date and, and to dream and to flirt and to, and to just enjoy life together and 
that God says play is actually good for your soul. If we just knew that, wouldn't that affect quite a number of our decisions? And that's just three. Right? You actually know much more about what God's perspective is than you think you do. And, and there's some things that are, that are unclear in the scriptures, that's for sure. And there's a lot of things that are incredibly clear that we can find out. And so if you don't know, I got a question about finances, what should I do? Download version and search money. You know, it'll show all the passage about money in the Bible. He asked me to move in with him. What should I do? Download, you know, the, the passages in the Bible about sex, about relationships. God, my, my dad called me again, and, you know, our relationship is way on the rocks. He's putting it lightly. What should I do? Search the version, you know, search you version for the verses about forgiveness. We have access to what God's perspective is on all these things. And the second one is, what do godly people say? Like I said, who, who in your life could you invite into those conversations? Who, who are some godly people, two or three people that you know, I should take them out to coffee. I should, I should tell them about this decision that I'm trying to make, and I should ask them for their perspective on it and say, you know, I, I probably have blind spots. I can't see them because of blind spots, that's kind of in the name, right? But I would love you to kind of shed your light and perspective. What do you see in me? What do you see in me in this decision? Am I something that I'm missing? Am I something that I'm not paying attention to? Help me be honest with myself. And then, and then encourage me to, to do this third thing, to obey, to take a step of faith, to, to, to honor God in my decision. Katie and I were, um, you know, going through a, a big decision process about three and a half years ago. In a month, we'll be have lived in Chicago for three years. And as we were, you know, working in another church that was really nice, they put money in our bank account like every two weeks automatically. It was great. Maybe you have a job like that. They're great, right? And, and we felt this nudge, right? We felt this nudge to, to move, to, to quit our job and to sell our house and move to Chicago to be a part of this idea called Soul City Church. And, and there, it wasn't just no promise of a job. There was a promise of no job because uh, there was like 20 of us in the living room at the time. Uh, and, and we asked people these questions. God, what, what do you tell us about the church in your word? What, what, do you, what do you say in the scriptures about helping people find you? And, and the Bible is incredibly clear, incredibly clear that God wants those that are far from him brought close and brought home. So it was, that was clear, right? But, but is this the right move for us and is the right time now? And so we asked godly people in our life, mentors, other pastors, our parents, friends of ours, said, speak into this decision, help us decide. And they asked hard questions that were uncomfortable to answer. We said, I don't know a lot more than anything else at times in that, in that moment. And I'll never forget, you know, we were, we were talking to our parents um, and, and they said, I think you should do it. I think it sounds like from the, the way God's made you and the gifts you have and this time in your story that you should do it. You should save for an entire year, though, before you move. And when you get to Chicago, you should find the cheapest apartment you possibly can. And, and you should begin to pray and ask God to make you comfortable with wearing last year's fashion because you're not getting new clothes anytime soon. But the last one was tough, right? You know, and... And so this wisdom that came into our life, that, that there was still encouragement to do the hard thing, but there was wisdom to do it well, was so valuable for us. And it's a decision that we look back on with great joy and not, not regret. And so those, those are three questions that, 
hopefully can help you and help me make, make these decisions. This past weekend, we were back in California at my younger brother's wedding, and I was kind of getting to know some of the groomsmen, you know, beforehand, and, and um, you know, one of the guys asked me, you know, as we're kind of getting to know each other, yeah, so what do, you, what do you do? And I always am nervous when people ask me that question because I know it's going to kind of change the direction of the conversation. Oh, cool, you're a pastor. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I wish I could say I was an accountant, but then there was this time in college where I ate too many donuts and missed my math final. It's a mess. Um, <laughs> so we're talking. And, and I told him, I said, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor. And he actually seemed really interested. And I'm like, oh, good, this is interesting. Cool, I'm glad. And he's like, oh, tell me about your church, all stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, what was it like? I love Chicago. Never been, but I love it. I was 22. <laughs> um, very excited. And anyway, I'm telling him about this message that I'm, that I'm giving now, but I hadn't given yet. And so I said, yeah, next weekend I'm teaching on decision-making. And he goes, oh, that's so cool. Like, that's, that's like the most important thing you can, you can learn to do. It's super helpful. I know how I make all my decisions. I'm like, Awesome. You're 22? Great. Tell me, tell me about it. He goes, yeah, it's, it, I'm so convinced I got it tattooed on my arm. Want to see? And I'm like, sure. And as he's rolling up his sleeve, I'm like, okay, hopefully this is good. Because if it wasn't, tattooing it permanently on your body was bad decision number one. <laughs> but he finally shows me, and this is, this is what it said. We put it on the screen. It said, a person who is filled with God's word will begin to instinctively do God's will. That's good for 22. <laughs> That's good for 42, right? And, and I, was, I was literally stunned. And I was like, wow. Like someone, someone told you that young. You're lucky. You're lucky. Because there's, there's times in my life when I didn't know that at, at 22. And that wasn't that long ago. And, and, there's, and there's times when probably you, you wish that you, you knew this, right? And so again, don't feel bad for all the things you don't know when you ask that first question. Start with where you are and let God invite you in deeper. Let God increase your desire to find out more of what he says. Let God increase your desire to invite other godly people into your decisions and into your life to help shape the direction of your future and invite God to increase your faith and your courage to obey when, when you know it, this is the next thing you should do. Sometimes we need a nudge to wait. We need to obey by just holding and not doing what we think we should, you know, what we, not doing what we want to do and wait for what God's going to do. And other times, we need to obey by activating and moving and doing what, what God has clearly said, but if we're honest, we're, we're afraid or we're confused or, or we're just waiting. We're just holding. And so to give you a, a picture of what this looks like in real life, I wanted to invite Jeannie Malnati up, and, and as the band comes up with her as well. But Jeannie is uh, a leader in our church, and she runs her own company called The Culture Group. And she's also one of our elders here that provides oversight and wisdom for our church and our staff. So will you welcome Jeannie with me? And I'm, I'm very excited that, that you're up here, and, and thank you for taking time. You obviously have had, I mean, we, in our conversations, you've shared that you've had a, a pretty big couple years of, of big decisions. And sometimes we can think that, that decision-making just comes easy for other people and not for us. But I would love for you to share with them, like, what are some big decisions that you've made this year that, and, and that was maybe difficult? I mean, you had to kind of think through some of those big decisions. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, everybody. <laughs> now, the last two years have been... Uh, time of a lot of different decisions that we made, big decisions in my husband's and my life. And 
And one was, we have lived in the suburbs for 32 years. Our kids grew up there, went to high school, and clearly felt God saying, we want you to move to the city. Sell your house, sell our house, sell everything in it. Um, we moved to the West Loop. Um, that meant changing churches. It meant meeting all new friends. Mm. Even though we still have connections, it was a big, that was a yeah. big decision. But we clearly felt led by God. Yeah. Um, the one I wanted to talk about was, along with that, um, I felt God saying, it's time for me something new. Mm. And I'm a psychotherapist, and I had a practice in the um, suburbs with teens and moms and women in transition. And I was, I, I was kind of done with that. You know, it was, um, I just felt it was time to, to yeah. move on. And, and I had people say... Um, gosh, great, you're moving to the city, you can, like, go out to lunch all the time, and your daughters are down there, you can, you know, go up Manny's and Petty's with them, and our grandkids live three blocks away, I can be a grandma, and I thought, that's pretty fun, we can travel. Yet, you know, talking about um, how, I made, how I've made decisions, um, one of the things for me is to get quiet, and I kind of call it the three C's. I have a couch. And I light a candle, and I have conversations. Hmm. Um, That's good. Yeah. And so it's conversations with, um, with God and asking him, um, do you want me to start a new business? Because hmm. I really felt that that's what he wanted me to do. Yeah. And so as you've made that decision, like you always talk through that, and, and how do you invite people into that, into, into that decision? How do you invite people to shed light on what it is that maybe you don't see in those decision moments. Yeah, and so so having being quiet and listening to God, having conversation with Him, I also believe just like your cards. I love mm. the the, th the three things. Um, is asking. I've asked people in my life. There's a couple people who really mm. know me, and love me, and will speak truth, mm. and challenge me um, about what my motivation, um, about not working or working. Um, and that was really, really helpful yeah. to reach out and to ask for, for help yeah, and feedback. Great. And that's, I mean, that's a courageous thing to do because that can be nerve-wracking. So as, you know, they might not be starting their own company, although some of them very possibly could be, but we all have decisions that we're looking down the tunnel this week we know we're going to have to make, either expected or unexpected. What's, what's one piece of encouragement or advice that you could give to those of us that are, we know we have a big decision coming up? Well... Um, one thing that I shared earlier, and it's just it's a, something that my husband and I do, and I don't know how, how you are, but we have learned in our life um, that really to cut to 100%, you know, uh, that a decision is 100% yes, 100% no is, is near impossible mm. most of the time. And we have found that we have like the 75-25% mm. rule. And that to get to 75% after we have listened to God, um, after talking to some, some people that we trust, checking in with ourselves, mm. that getting to 75% allows us actually the privilege, but also the risk and the fear mm. of having to lean on God. Mm. And I have That's a life good. verse. I don't know if all of you have a life verse, but it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yeah. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. That's and that's what I would say. Sometimes it's to grow our faith. Mm -hmm. It's go for the 75% instead of trying to have the 100% mm. you know, perfection. 
Um, yeah, so yeah. that's what I'd say. And that's helpful. I think that's freeing for all of us when we feel it. You don't have to have it all figured out. It actually is an invitation from God for deeper faith and transformation. Thank you, yeah. Jeannie. Appreciate Freedom it. in the question. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank and so we, we want to, as we close out, we want to give you an opportunity to do just that. So I want you to grab that card and grab a pen. Um, and I'm going to invite you to take a little bit of a risk. The, the top line of that card, it says, my decision. And, and I want to encourage you and invite you to actually write down the decision that you know you need to make or that you've been thinking about, maybe that's been bothering you or weighing heavy on you. Again, whether it's a relationship decision, a career or a financial decision, a decision about forgiveness or, or, or how, to, how to move forward in a relationship. Whatever it might be that you've been thinking about perhaps for the last 25, 30 minutes, I want, I want you to write it down. I want, I want you to actually write it out. This is the decision that I'm struggling with. This is the decision that I know I need to make. And that, that first question where it says, what, what does God say? I want you to write down what, what you think God says about that. And, and you may not know, and that's okay. But remember, start where you're at. So anything that you know about God or that you've heard either here at church or, or in a small group or reading the Bible that you've maybe heard that, that that's what God thinks about that area of your life, that decision. Or if you have a question, I, I don't know, what, God, what does God say about this? To write that down and so that this week you can go search and find out what that is. You can invite God into that decision. And that second question, what, what do godly people say? I want you to write down the names of two or three people that you can invite this week to speak into that decision. A friend, a mentor, a parent, maybe a small group leader, this is, this is why we do small groups, is to provide you with a circle of people that are going in the same direction that you are. And so I think almost 400 people in our church are in, the, are in a circle. So maybe write your small group leader's name down. Write people in your group. You're going to ask them this week, what do you think about this decision I'm thinking about making? And then that, that third question of will I obey, don't just write down yes because you're in church, okay? Um, and don't write down no either. But, but what I want you to do is, is write down the resistance that you feel. We, we all feel it. And that may never go away. That's the 25% that maybe Jeannie was talking about. God, I'm, I'm afraid. God, this is going to cost me that relationship. If I say no to him, Maybe he'll say no to me. God, I, I don't know what's around the corner, and so I'm scared. Write, write down your resistance to obedience. And I encourage you to, to pray through that this week, to actually bring that to God, because that doesn't scare him. But that's, that's what we do when that allows us to receive that invitation from God to lean into greater dependence in our decisions. And so I hope that gives you a start, even tonight. And, and I liked what Pastor Jared did a few weeks ago when we talked about prayer 
and he made his card double-sided so you could do it again at home this week. And so I stole that idea. All right, so the card is two-sided. So you got to start tonight. But the reality is, is that you and I are going to face another decision this week. Maybe expected, maybe unexpected. And that you'll have a tool you can take with you to be able to process through these questions again and say, God, what, what do you say about this? What do godly people say about this? And then, God, help me. Help me take a step of obedience. And as we, as we wrap up, we're going to pray and, and, and sing together. But before we do that, I wanted to read a verse over you that hopefully is a sense of encouragement. And the first line is on the top of that card. And it's out of Colossians 3.23. And it says, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Because ultimately our decisions aren't for anybody else. They're not, they're not for the people we're trying to impress. They're not just for our family. They're not just for, you know, the person that, that we're spending our time with. Ultimately, your, your decision, the path you choose to go down, is a reflection of your relationship with God. And so let that be an encouragement for you for whatever you decide, right? Because sometimes there isn't a, a right answer. God might not tell you, you need to buy this car or rent this apartment or, you know, she's the one. Go after her. Like, he might not say that. But, but he will tell you how to manage your money, how to do relationships right, how to pursue purity, how to, you know, all these things, live with honesty. So what, whatever you do, do it with all your heart for God. So we're, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing some more songs we believe to be true about God. But before we do that, we're going to give back and, and receive our offering. And it's something that we do every week, and this is actually a great opportunity we have to, to practice these things, right? That, that God clearly says in his word, because he loves us, don't, don't cling to your stuff. Don't trust in your money. That doesn't, that doesn't hold anything for you. But trust in God. And we could give time for you to go down the row and ask people in your row. And, and you probably hear great stories of people that received incredible joy when they were generous. You might have a story like that. And then the question comes back to all of us is, will, will we obey? And so I'm going to pray, and then our host team is going to pass some buckets down the road. And I'd encourage you, if you call God your father and Salt City Church your home, I encourage you to give joyfully and to give generously because when we give here, it doesn't just fund what happens here on a Sunday, but it actually has ripple effects throughout our city, throughout the week, and even across the country and the world as we think about how we can be part of the solution in Oklahoma and things of that nature. And so I would, I would encourage you to trust God with your finances. This might be a small step you can make in that direction, even, even right here tonight. So let's pray together and then we'll continue to worship. God, I'm so grateful that you give us a way to, to see how we can make decisions that honor you and ultimately that give us life, that expand our future. And God, thank you that you don't want us to be walking around feeling our way through the darkness and in blindness, but you want to illuminate our heart and our soul to what it is that you have for us and also invite us into deeper trust and transformation with you. And so God, I pray that tonight was helpful. I pray that as we leave from here that we can, we can know how to process through the decisions that are going to come up in our week in a way that honors you and gives us greater life that you promised. And so as we give to you, as we sing, I pray that these words would be so much more than a song, but would be a declaration of the status of our heart. God, that we would, we would want to stand for you. We would want to live our lives focused on you, trusting that your love never fails us. And so... 
God, receive our gifts and receive our song. We love you, and so it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.